One of Saturday Night Live's most popular skits in the early 90s was a mock self-help show called Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Smalley, played by now Senator Al Franken, would begin each show by reciting into the mirror, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and, doggone it, people like me. This was a spoof of the self-esteem movement, which in the 80s had been all the rage. In that decade, self-esteem became a hot topic for motivational speakers and almost a book genre unto itself. In 1986, California even established a self-esteem state task force. But by the next decade, the movement had degenerated into an easy late-night punchline. Even today, Smalley's simpering smile is the kind of image that the term self-esteem evokes for many. Generation Barney The self-esteem movement is also widely blamed for its influence on American schools and families. In the name of building self-esteem, teachers and parents showered children with effusive, unconditional praise. In the name of protecting self-esteem, kids were sheltered from any criticism or adverse consequences. The sugary rot spread to children's television as well. Many of today's young adults were raised on Barney the Dinosaur, who gushed with feel-good affirmations just as sappy as Smalley's. I am reminded of a moment from my own education career in the early 2000s. I had designed a classroom game for preschoolers, and one of my colleagues, a veteran early childhood educator, objected that my game involved competition and winners. Your game can't have a winner, because that means other kids will be losers, she explained. According to critics, this kind of mollycoddling has yielded a millennial generation full of emotionally fragile young adults who, in the workplace, expect praise and affirmation simply for showing up, and who can't cope with, much less adapt to, constructive criticism. It is also partially blamed for the rise of politically correct university snowflakes, aka crybullies, and their petulant demands for safe spaces on campus. An unknown ideal. Ironically, these criticisms would be heartily endorsed by the father of the self-esteem movement. The whole thing was kicked off by an influential 1969 book titled The Psychology of Self-Esteem, written by Nathaniel Brandon, 1930-2014, a psychotherapist and one-time colleague and lover of Ayn Rand. It was the first of a long series of books by Brandon about self-esteem, which included The Disowned Self, 1971, Honoring the Self, 1983, How to Raise Your Self-Esteem, 1987, and The Power of Self-Esteem, 1992. In The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem, 1994, his definitive book on the subject, Brandon expressed deep dissatisfaction with prevailing discussions of the concept, especially after the movement became an explosive fad in the 80s. In that period, the concept of self-esteem was distorted by what Brandon called the oversimplifications and sugar coatings of pop psychology. Brandon declared that, Greater than I do not share the belief that self-esteem is a gift we have only to claim, by reciting affirmations, perhaps. On the contrary, its possession over time represents an achievement. Emphasis added here and below. As Brandon understood and explained it, self-esteem was an action-oriented, tough-minded concept. If Brandon had been Stuart Smalley's therapist, he would have advised him to stop mouthing empty self-compliments into the mirror and instead to start building real self-esteem through deep reflection and concrete action. Brandon especially deplored how badly education reformers were getting self-esteem wrong. He wrote, Greater than we do not serve the healthy development of young people when we convey that self-esteem may be achieved by reciting I am special every day, or by stroking one's own face while saying I love me. He elaborated that. Greater than I have stressed that feel-good notions are harmful rather than helpful. Yet if one examines the proposals offered to teachers on how to raise students' self-esteem, many are the kind of trivial nonsense that gives self-esteem a bad name, such as praising and applauding a child for virtually everything he or she does, dismissing the importance of objective accomplishments, 
handing out gold stars on every possible occasion, and propounding an entitlement idea of self-esteem that leaves it divorced from both behavior and character. One of the consequences of this approach is to expose the whole self-esteem movement in the schools to ridicule. Brandon further clarified. Greater than therefore, let me stress once again that when I write of self-efficacy or self-respect, I do so in the context of reality, not of feelings generated out of wishes or affirmations or gold stars granted as a reward for showing up. When I talk to teachers, I talk about reality-based self-esteem. Let me say further that one of the characteristics of persons with healthy self-esteem is that they tend to assess their abilities and accomplishments realistically, neither denying nor exaggerating them. Other esteem. Brandon also criticized those who greater than preferred to focus only on how others might wound one's feelings of worth, not how one might inflict the wound oneself. This attitude is typical of those who believe one's self-esteem is primarily determined by other people. Indeed, what most self-esteem advocates fail to understand is that other-reliant self-esteem is a contradiction in terms. Far from building self-esteem, many of the counselors, teachers, and parents of yesteryear obstructed its growth by getting kids hooked on a spiritual IV drip of external validation. Instead of self-esteem, this created a dependence on other esteem. It is no wonder then that today we are faced with a, often exaggerated, phenomenon of young, entitled, high-maintenance validation junkies in the classroom and the workplace. Their self-esteem has been crippled by being, on the one hand, atrophied by the psychic crutches of arbitrary authoritarian approval, and, on the other hand, repeatedly fractured by the psychic cudgels of arbitrary authoritarian disapproval. Almost entirely neglected has been the stable middle ground of letting children learn to spiritually stand, walk, and run on their own, to build the strength of their self-esteem through the experience of self-directed pursuits, setting their own standards, and adapting to the natural consequences of the real world. Brandon also noted that self-esteem is not promoted by greater than identifying self-worth with membership in a particular group, ethnic pride, rather than with personal character. Let us remember that self-esteem pertains to that which is open to our volitional choice. It cannot properly be a function of the family we were born into, or our race, or the color of our skin, or the achievements of our ancestors. These are values people sometimes cling to in order to avoid responsibility for achieving authentic self-esteem. They are sources of pseudo-self-esteem. Can one ever take legitimate pleasure in any of these values? Of course. Can they ever provide temporary support for fragile, growing egos? Probably. But they are not substitutes for consciousness, responsibility, or integrity. They are not sources of self-efficacy and self-respect. They can, however, become sources of self-delusion. This helps to explain the emotional fragility of young people obsessed with identity politics, especially the perverse pride in group victimhood that pervades the campus left. It also speaks to the agitation and resentment of today's crop of white nationalists and other right-wing identitarians. As Ayn Rand wrote, Greater than the overwhelming majority of racists are men who have earned no sense of personal identity, who can claim no individual achievement or distinction, and who seek the illusion of a tribal self-esteem by alleging the inferiority of some other tribe. Authentic self-esteem promotes, not codependency and fragility, but independence, enterprise, resilience, adaptability, and a growth mindset, exactly the character traits that individuals, young and old, need more of in today's economy and political climate. It is nothing short of tragic that the confusions of the so-called self-esteem movement have turned an indispensable concept into an object of ridicule and blame. Far from being the source of our problems, self-esteem is the missing solution. Dan Sanchez Dan Sanchez is managing editor of Fee.org. His writings are collected at dan. Sanchez.me 
This article was originally published on fee.org. Read the original article.